You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ and others, and grows together in faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, June 27, 2021, by Ashley Buff Lang, Associate for Youth and Communications at St. Thomas. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhages stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord.
can't tell you why I did what I did that day. People do kind of crazy things when they live with the kind of pain I live with, when they live with the kind of pain I've known. Twelve years of it. For twelve years, they've called me the bleeding woman. I get it. I suppose someone with an affliction like mine wouldn't be worth much more, not that they would know. No one ever gets close enough to find out. Twelve years I have been afflicted with this terrible and uncontrollable bleeding. Twelve years I have sat on the margins of society, an outsider, lonely, outcast, unclean, subject to stares, comments whispered while I pass, always at a distance, of course. For 12 years, I've been tired. Yeah, I, I mean exhausted, tired, but also, also the, the kind of tired, like tired answers, you know? Repetitive phrases that become more like background music. Phrases like, we'll see what we can do, or just another test, or what did you do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? That question, it was rattling in my brain that day, the day that Jesus came to town. I remember how the square was abuzz with expectation. There was these rumors of this rabbi named Jesus that they'd spread. People talked all about the things he had done, about how he'd exercised demons, calmed stormy waters, healed the sick. I think he tried to keep it under wraps, you know, tried to tell people, don't let anyone know, but you know how things work here. I'm pretty sure that there's not a single person in all of Israel who could keep a secret even if they tried and they weren't trying. It was exciting. From the moment he stepped off the boat, there was this overwhelming and palpable energy and it took hold of us all. Even in my weary state, I'll admit that I wasn't immune to it. There was an intrigue there. I wondered what kind of miracles he might have in store for our humble town. I wondered, maybe foolishly, about whether my name might be added to his ever-growing list of miracles. With hardly one foot off the boat, I remember watching as some local leaders in our town descended upon him with a fury. It struck me as strange. One of them was running, literally running. You'd think that whether they were there to welcome or reproach Jesus, that at least they'd do it with a bit of composure or, I don't know, a, a gentleman's pace. But as I watched as his knees collapsed into the dirt, palms locked, weeping and begging before the teacher, it was clear that something different was happening. I recognized him. His name was Jairus. I'll never forget how strange it was to see that, 
to see that powerful, esteemed leader of the synagogue groveling there at Jesus' feet like some beggar, like me. It's funny, I, I, I used to attend that synagogue with my parents um, long before my illness took hold. And this, this was the same man who would spend his days ensuring that I never got too close to the temple doors, lest my uncleanliness make the whole place unholy. I don't blame him. <laughs> he was just doing his job, upholding Levitical law. It says right there, Leviticus chapter 15, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, during or beyond the time of her period, all the days of this she shall be unclean. And the same will be, will be of every bed on which she lies, every seat on which she sits, and whoever touches these things shall be unclean themselves. Like I said, he was just doing his job. He was, after all, a leader of the synagogue, a holy man. So yeah, then, then what, what was he doing here, delivering these desperate pleas to a so-called miracle worker about whom there were only rumors? I watched him plead to Jesus that he would come and make his dying daughter well. And the strangest thing happened. Despite our differences, I felt his pain. I knew his pain. I wonder sometimes if, if he felt mine. I think he did. I could see it, you know. I watched as Jesus followed him to the room in which his daughter lay. And the crowds, the people, they, they knew what was coming. They started to press in on Jesus to follow him on the way to Jairus' home. And that's when I made my decision. I knew if anything were going to happen, if it was going to happen, if there was any hope left in stopping this unrelenting agony that I've lived with for 12 long years, it was going to be here. And it was going to be right now. Veiled by the obscurity of an ever-growing crowd, I started to press through my, my heart. It was racing, and I, I felt this energy in my body that I hadn't known for years. All at once, I felt both certain um, and maybe a little crazy. <laughs> you know, you, you know that feeling? That feeling when this unexplainable, unjustifiable confidence just overwhelms you. That's what it was. And I, I felt it. I, I felt it in my whole body. That if I could just get close, if, if, I, if I could just touch the corner of his cloak, just a, a piece, that this power of his, this rumor-inspiring, miracle-making, nature-defining power. It could be worth more than any doctor or physician combined across all of Galilee. Before I knew it, I was close. I could hardly stop to think about the fact that this was the closest I had been to another human being in over a decade. 
My mind, though, was fixed on the task at hand. Just one touch. Just one small graze, and I'd done it. I'd, I'd actually done it, and, and it worked. No sooner did the tip of my finger brush up against his garment than I felt his power coursing through my body. The blood that hadn't stopped flowing from me in twelve long years was suddenly dry. The body that I had known only as weak and weary suddenly felt full of energy, full of life. <laughs> but of course, who was I going to tell, right? No one in their right mind would dare get close enough to me to learn the truth of this miracle, but in that moment, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because I knew and I felt it. I turned to walk away, to escape the crowd before anyone noticed, but then I heard it. Who touched me? In all the commotion, it really could have been anyone. I mean, it was. It was literally everyone. Everyone was touching Jesus. But I knew why he was asking. I knew he knew. There was no getting out of this. Honestly, I was so caught up in the moment I hadn't given much thought to this part or, or to the very small chance that it could have ever happened. But it did. And there I was, frozen by those words of knowing who touched me. I couldn't hide it any longer. I, I turned back to face him and I fell on my knees. My, my voice was trembling. My hands were shaking. I, I told him everything. I hadn't exactly asked for permission, you know. Who was I to be worthy of such power? I wondered what he might do. Would he reverse it? Would he tell me that I've sinned? That I've stepped out of line? Become just a, a, a bit too bold in daring to think that I was more worthy of his time than the dying girl of a powerful leader? I closed my eyes in fear of seeing the disappointment and disgust on his face. But then, before I know it, I could feel the shadows move past my eyelids. I opened my eyes to see his face before me filled not with anger, but with love, with compassion. I felt his hand grab mine. I remember that moment. I, I remember that moment, and I think about it every day. You know, up until that moment, no one had touched my hand in the longest time. What did I do to deserve this? And that's when he said it to me the words that brought me into deeper healing than I could have possibly anticipated even as I reached out and touched his cloak. 
Daughter. Daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And I was. I felt it, that, um, that freedom. You know, it's that, that kind of freedom <laughs> that makes you abandon everything and anything all at once. The kind of freedom that assures you that beyond a shadow of a doubt, wherever this rabbi is, is the place I want to be. The kind of freedom that tells me whatever this teacher is doing are the things I've got to be doing. The kind that tells me that perhaps whoever this one is calling worthy might in fact be worthy. That perhaps I'm worthy. Daughter. I heard not long after that he healed that man's daughter not just healed her, but really like, brought her back from the dead. That before Jesus walked into that room, maybe even in the few moments he decided to spare for me, that she breathed her last breath. They laughed in his face when he said she would be okay. Honestly, who knows? I, a week earlier, I might have done the same thing. Did you know she was 12 years old? <laughs> Isn't that funny? 12 years. <laughs> That's got to mean something, right? If you ask me, I think that's why they killed him. People never seem to take too kindly to the ones who can defy death or question the set social order the ones who can make daughters of the outcast and beggars of the rich. <laughs> I think we all eventually become beggars in Jesus' company in one way or another, don't we? Some desperate for healing, others simply for wholeness and acceptance, most just desperate for the invitation to sit at his feet, if even for a second, to bear witness to and be swept away by the transformation that he brings. I've been there. I've literally seen it. I've heard it said that even though they killed him, he never really did go away. I believe that. I believe that, that he, that he still manages to exercise that same kind of audacious, audacious authority that I witnessed there in the square that day. Reordering all things so that all might have a place at his table. That he's still out there calling people by name, daughter, son, child, beloved one. I, 
can't say I'm not inclined to start doing the same. People do crazy things when they live with the kind of freedom I've lived with. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website at www.stthomas.org. Thomas, M-E-D-I-N-A dot org.